Welcome to the Caribbean Foreign Affairs Podcast, Diplomatically Speaking. I'm Dr. Jeanette Brown-Metzger, former Jamaican Consul General and your host. Join me for candid conversations with leaders on the front line of U.S. and Caribbean affairs about bilateral relations, U.S.-Asia geopolitical tensions over the region, foreign trade, and why the U.S. should deepen its relationship with the Caribbean in the post-pandemic era. We will also discuss fresh ideas coming from the region for new and diverse economic opportunities and innovative ventures, and what could be a paradigm shift in Caribbean economic strategy. The blue economy and digital technology are emerging as strong pathways for economic and sustainable growth in the Caribbean. Both hold promise to diversify the economy, create jobs, and leapfrog development in the region. The World Bank is betting on this strategy and has invested millions in novel digital projects and blue economy programs. Tashin Sayed, director of the Caribbean at the World Bank, is responsible for maintaining a solid partnership with the region to address its development and financial challenges. She has over 20 years of operational and leadership experience at the bank, serving also in Europe and in the Central and South Asia regions. She holds a master's degree in law and diplomacy, specializing in development studies from the Tufts University Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, USA. And she joins me to talk about these new frontiers. Welcome to the program, Ms. Sayed. Thank you so much uh, and uh, good morning to you and, and your listeners, uh, Jean-Vierre Brown-Metzger. I'm really delighted to be here to talk about the World Bank and its engagement, and more importantly, to talk about the Caribbean. Well, we are very privileged to have you indeed. Our listeners are of varying types. Many of them are au fait with the subject matters for today, but I want to do something basic. Let's start out with understanding what is exactly the blue economy. So very simply speaking, the blue economy is an approach that uh, focuses on the, and I underline the word sustainable, the sustainable use of ocean resources for jobs, for economic growth, for improving livelihoods of the people who are inhabiting around these oceans. And of course, very importantly, protecting the health of the the ocean uh, itself, uh, meaning protecting it from pollution and protecting its ecosystem. So that's really what Blue Economy is all about. We will divide our conversation today really in two component parts, one on the Blue Economy and the other one on the digital technology. Both uh, are priorities for diversifying Caribbean economies and accelerating growth. You argue that the pause in tourism due to the global health crisis is an opportunity to strengthen the sector, perhaps, perhaps even recalibrate the region's economic vision. That's interesting. Explain. Yes, indeed. Uh, I argue this uh, for a particular reason. As we all know that most of the Caribbean, especially the small island states, are uh, heavily dependent on, uh, from the revenue side, from on the side of the economy, on tourism. And tourism revenues have been deeply impacted during this COVID-19 situation. On an average, the small islands have 40% of their revenues have been coming from tourism and there's a halt. So in a situation like this, when uh, you are faced with a very serious crisis and a wall before you, do you continue to hit yourself against that wall and try and try to have a breakthrough? Or do you go around that wall and try to find opportunities? So that's exactly what I, what I when I say that diversification 
is uh, something that needs to be looked at within the tourism sector. Uh, what is the biggest attraction for the tourists in the for the Caribbean in the Caribbean? A lot of it is, of course, to me, the greatest attraction are, are the fantastic people in the Caribbean who are so warm and welcoming, and you know, just everything around the Caribbean is is has warmth and welcome around it. But uh, the, what attracts to, uh, tourists are the ocean resources and things associated with that. So, how can we? How can these islands? How can the countries try to uh, diversify by making greater use in a positive way of these ocean resources and the wealth that these oceans possess, whether it's from the fishery sector, whether having more jobs uh, generated through fisheries, or whether it's through um, aquaculture, or whether it's through uh, maritime development. And just to give you some examples, at the moment, uh, fisheries contribute about, uh, about $460 million or so annually uh, to the Caribbean as a whole and 4% of jobs. Can those jobs be doubled over the next few years where they can be more focused on the fisheries sector? Uh, aquaculture is contributing $48 million at this point uh, to the economies in the, in the region, in the Caribbean region. And globally, uh, the trend towards aquaculture products in international markets is really rising, such as, you know, sea uh, moss, shellfish farming, etc., so uh, that's what I mean that, you know, those areas uh, can be bet more focused on to uh, diversify within the tourism sector and benefit from a resource that's a shared resource and that is there to uh, to be used, but used sustainably and environmentally well. Well, we'll we will get into some of those areas that you have uh, highlighted uh, just now. But uh, with respect to policy, are do, are you seeing any real policy changes that are signaling a real shift towards this blue economy sector? Or has there merely been kind of an incremental shift? You know, uh, the in the past uh, several years, um, at least the time I have been working on the Caribbean and my colleagues who have been working before me on the Caribbean, they have uh, clearly uh, felt, and I have felt it very strongly too, that there is a very strong recognition of uh, uh, protecting, preserving, and benefiting from the ocean resources. You know, blue economy or green economy, these are words that we use to uh, to brand certain uh, areas of economic activity. But actually, there is a far greater recognition now. And in the Caribbean, I think one very important example of this recognition is that uh, the effort to uh, protect the ocean resources from pollution, from plastics, and several countries have taken actually legal steps uh, to incrementally move away from uh, plasticization of the oceans, so to speak, such as Grenada, such as St. Vincent and Grenadines, Barbados, um, and other countries. I was going to ask you about uh, the coastal protection and management, which are really just so critical, and the alignment, of course, with the International Marine Organization Best Practices and Regulation. I run a maritime foundation helping kids uh, with scholarships to study in that space, and it's an area that's of great interest to me. How is the Caribbean doing on this? You alluded to to the fact that it's getting some good marks across the uh, region. 
So, you know, uh, it's uh, where I think they, they have uh, the, the policymakers, and I think a lot of it is not, not only the policymakers, but uh, social media, the visual, the visual aspects of how oceans are being destroyed has had, uh, I would say, a very, uh, in a way, positive and a good impact because uh, the issue of marine pollution is quite uh, on top of the agenda uh, in the small islands. You know, just to quote you a couple of, I don't want to scare your uh, listeners, but it's important for for people to know that uh, in the plastic on the Caribbean Sea, there are 200,000 pieces of plastic per kilometer. Uh, On the beaches, uh, there's over 2,000 liters of items per kilometer in the on the Caribbean beaches versus over 573 the global average. This is something, uh, and this is you know <laughs> data, uh, hard data. There is no you know hiding from it. So, what is the recognition of that? Banning single-use plastics and or styrofoam, education campaigns for public awareness, especially especially for the youth, because the youth are the ones who are the biggest champions. They are the ones most impacted. Uh, issues of uh, volunteering cleanup. You mentioned your children work with children. Street sweeping, volunteer cleanup efforts. Everything makes a difference. So that process, I think, is happening uh, much more now in the islands. But a lot has to be done. A lot more has to be done. Right. You 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 make the point of citizen centric development, and I I just raised that now because you mentioned young people. But I want to reserve that for a later discussion in the context of not just the blue economy but digital technology, because you really see that as a critical kinetic force in terms of boosting. Um, the potential of both industries. But before we get to that, uh, I'm impressed with what Barbados has done. I believe it has led the Caribbean in the blue economy. I believe the country is the first in the world to have established a ministerial uh, blue economy portfolio. Uh, What has Barbados done right that you would like to see replicated across the rest of the region? Barbados has very clearly, uh, as you rightly said, that it uh, has established a Ministry of Maritime Affairs and the Blue Economy, in the the regions first, by the way, the Caribbean regions first. This is important from both the technical point of view, meaning focusing on on this subsector, and secondly, very importantly, that sometimes we don't pay much attention to this point, is the signaling. The signaling is extremely important that this is a big issue for for the country and, of course, largely for the region as well. So institutionally, it's a great effort to show uh, the country's commitment on this agenda. And uh, Barbados has also been working very closely with the Eastern Caribbean member states and the international community, uh, UNDP, for example, and the Inter-American Development Bank as as well, on various initiatives such as... uh, uh, Barbados is working with the uh, OECS on the Blue Economy Accelerator Lab, the Blue Technic Technology Challenge in the Caribbean. And uh, it's further, cat- I think it's catalyzing the whole topic of the blue economy. But I have to say that this is an issue which other countries may not have a ministry called the blue economy, but uh, it's very much part of the climate change, uh, environmental ministry, natural resource management ministry's agenda, be it Jamaica or be it Dominica or Grenada, it's very much there. So, and the other important, I think, aspect for Barbados is being a hub 
it's the uh, uh, I would say sort of a transport institute a hub that way there's a regional offices of uh, many development partners of the Caribbean Development Bank, the UN system. So it's very well positioned to advance this uh, the blue economy aspirations for the region as a whole as uh, setting examples. Yeah, Minister Kirk, Kirk Humphrey is the minister holding that portfolio. I have the honor of working with him on a webinar series for uh, students all across the region. And he, like you, believe in the importance of bringing the young people ahead. Where does the bank focus its investment within the blue economy in the in the Caribbean? We have, uh, there are two very clear, uh, actually I should say three strands of our engagement. One is on the uh, analytical side, uh, on data, on analysis. So we started with, we prepared a, a blue economy for the Caribbean uh, analytical report about uh, 2017, I think it was unveiled, yes. Then we have done a marine pollution uh, report. Some of the data that I quoted was from that report. So one is the analytical side that, you know, bring, highlight the issue to the public, to the stakeholders, through uh, all kinds of outreach activities. So there is more awareness and more uh, evidence-based decision-making. So one is that. Second is on the policy and the regulatory side where we have been supporting uh, the islands and several countries on putting in place uh, the legal uh, requirements for such as banning plastics, uh, regulatory systems for managing the ocean resources. And that we are doing through what we call uh, policy-based lending, which is we provide budgetary assistance for countries to, to move towards policies that help the economy, the blue economy, move forward. We have done that for Grenada. We have done that for St. Vincent and Grenadines already in terms of financing policies. The third is investment financing. And that is something, as we speak, uh, we are preparing a quite a large investment project, uh, initially focused on four countries, uh, Grenada, Dominica, St. Lucia, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And uh, this is, it's really unleashing the blue economy is what we are calling this operation to really highlight uh, the importance of this this sector. And this will have several aspects, including a very important area linked directly to preserving the ocean resources and that's solid waste management, which is we haven't touched upon yet, but that's a key part of when I said sustainable use of ocean resources. That's one aspect as well, which will be part of this investment project to help the islands in those areas. So we are, these are the three sort of uh, segments. And uh, furthermore, uh, in other uh, other countries, I mean, we are very if if the countries uh, uh, we are sort of trying to from the World Bank side to really build the awareness and you know it's it's we are talking to in most cases interestingly people who are, who are already converted it's just the how of and the right financing for it to move forward uh, the other part is really the regional aspect of it ocean is a shared resource uh, you have your maritime boundaries but at the end of the day uh, whatever happens in one part of the ocean impacts every country. So that's an area where the regional side of it, we are uh, we going to be doing much more as a part of the Blue Economy Investment Project that we are working on right now. It's under preparation. 
Excellent. Well, moving now to the digital technology piece, you cite uh, this as a catalyst like the blue economy for economic growth. The pandemic has certainly illuminated the gap in the Caribbean, which we have all known about, uh, particularly in our schools. At the same time, the region is experiencing successes with tech sectors like uh, business process outsourcing. What are the critical issues in the technology space space with which the region must come to terms now? So uh, this is a big topic, but let me touch upon a few headline points on this. First of all, uh, the Caribbean, uh, with its now a talk of the Caribbean countries as a whole, as an average, with their level of per capita income, middle to upper income, with their uh, with Caribbean uh, populations uh, full access to at least up to high school education at the minimum and, and uh, beyond, uh, is really not where it should be where it is today on the digital agenda. It should be far, far advanced. Many low-income countries in Africa, in South Asia, very low-income countries are much more advanced than the Caribbean countries. For example, just on the use of uh, uh, e-payments, mobile payments uh, are still not the norm. A unified uh, connected national ID system is still not the norm. Connection within the public sector services, one service talking to the other across uh, in a uniform way is still not the norm. So uh, this is why uh, I start with this, I mean, not as a critique, but really the reality, because the opportunity for the Caribbean to advance on the digital technology agenda is huge. Uh, You have the main resource, which is the human resource, to do it. And, you know, there is a lot of financial support available for uh, from Caribbean's partners, development partners, who would be very happy to advance and support the Caribbean in these areas of uh, building on uh, more citizen-focused public services. So the services are really connected, uh, trying to bring e-payments, the financial services part of it, trying to get the most important part, uh, the broadband internet connectivity and making it available across in a, in a, in a, in a cheaper way. Well, well you're, touching, you're touching on a critical piece there, and that is the internet access. But it, it seems interesting to me that when cell phones became ubiquitous uh, in the Caribbean, there were people in remote areas of the region that had cell phones that didn't have access to running toilets. Uh, and they were, quite frankly, a bit ahead of us in the United States because we were still dependent on hard cable as opposed to the cell technology. So so we, we had a good beginning 15, 20 or more years ago. But you're saying we have not kept up. It's become just kind of the basic cell phone and we haven't really uh, exploited uh, that area. Yes, because, you know, what are the areas that you need to ex- uh, to uh, to expand or exploit, as you say? Uh, one, of course, is the quality broadband. Uh, while there is positive, uh, you know, trends in terms of digital infrastructure and connectivity, it has to be made a lot easier to serve the citizens, the individuals and businesses much better. The second uh, is really the uh, to overcome the digital gap. Uh, because that is what uh, can boost productivity and innovation. 
uh, and why innovation is important because digital skills training in, in the formal education is important, but digital technology in schools is very important. Thirdly, the cash culture, moving to the uh, acceptance of digital payments across the region. So it's not just the public sector, the governments, but it's individuals like you and I and businesses that can transact online and so they can expand. It can be more financially inclusive, and especially for women. Because honestly, uh, I believe that in the past, we used to always say that the biggest equalizer in the world is uh, education that gives you the upward mobility. And we have seen how education has done so. But today, the biggest equalizer is actually education plus uh, digital technology, because that really puts you at the level playing field. Uh, And there, uh, so that's one part. Then, of course, the next part is really uh, the digital entrepreneurship and skills to build that up. So those are all areas that what I'm defining to you are actually, I'm really, really one part that I feel extremely happy that uh, the World Bank could actually push this is that in June, we our board of directors approved uh, almost a $100 million project for uh, Eastern Caribbean countries. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think that's the first time that the World Bank has made such an investment. Am I correct? In the Caribbean, exactly, yes. In the Caribbean, yes, yes, yes. And I think the first time any development partner has made, we are all as a group committed to the digital agenda and supporting countries. But I think the first time any development partner has brought this level of financing uh, for the uh, for digital platforms, actually. So that's very, very exciting. So where do you want to see that money spent specifically? Because as you know, this space is very broad. We, we, we're talking about digitizing the maritime space, which is a critical part of, you know, building out logistics and shipping and, 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 and so on. So where do you where do you want to put your money? Where do you think that's the, be- the best use of your money right now? So this is, uh, in any case, uh, quite well uh, allocated to uh, different activities uh, within countries, within four countries. Uh, uh, and uh, four Eastern Caribbean countries who actually also receive uh, concessional financing from the World Bank. Uh, And uh, at the regional level, uh, it's coordinated with the OECS Commission, as well as with the ECCB. ECCB because of the financial, uh, the e-payment system, which is important. If you could just stop for our listeners, the OECS, the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States, and then... Organization of Eastern Caribbean states, the OECS Commission is a uh, is a commission set up to uh, to coordinate and to work together with the Eastern Caribbean Small Islands, and then the Eastern Caribbean uh, Central Bank is ECCB. Uh, that's in fact one of the very successful regional initiatives in the Caribbean. Uh, that's a key partner in this. So one part of the financing support for this under this project is going to be for expanding the e-payment and digital financial services system. For the few minutes we have left, out of respect for your time, uh, you make a big deal, and I agree with you, about the engagement of youth, not only in the blue economy space, but particularly the, particularly in the, in the tech space. You talk about uh, seeing our youth as purveyors of entrepreneurship. 
how can the educational system and private sector play a role in promoting and supporting that vision? So, you know, there uh, in many parts of the world, uh, this is a question that's vexing many, many uh, policymakers as well as civil society people. The, uh, there are various aspects now in the on the in the digital uh, uh, domain. Why uh, it is uh, more exciting and more possible is because it uh, does not uh, curtail your. Uh, it, you don't need physical mobility. Uh, you are not uh, curtailed by your uh, gender or your any other orientation, other biases. You know that there might be. Because you're sitting with your team or yourself in trying to build entrepreneurship. We have many examples of angel investors, by the way, in the digital field in the Caribbean, uh, where they have helped uh, young people with ideas and boosted uh, them. And they are, you know, this is something we also did as a project a few years ago as a pilot. So uh, private sector, uh, I personally believe, my personal belief, now this is not really the World Bank speaking, but me personally, from the work I've done in other parts of the world, that the demand is there. It is just connecting the demand with the supply. The private sector with the supply of the entrepreneurial youth. And that is where uh, the uh, it's not waiting to be connected, but to be proactive. So there are many forums. In fact, the uh, the commission that I mentioned, the uh, OECS, the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States Commission, has a very strong youth platform, where, where we are trying to, from the World Bank side, to try to do more with them, uh, to use our uh, uh, convening power or our leverage to support such uh, local initiatives. At the end of the day, Jean-Bierre, it's going to be driven nationally, locally, regionally, not from outside. And, and I think the point you also make, which is part of the youth engagement, is this citizen-centric approach, which is unusual. Uh, typically in these major uh, transformational moves, we're talking about policy coming from the top. But I was just impressed uh, by the point in you made in so many of your articles about citizen-centric uh, uh, engagement, that the citizens are have the power and the potential to drive the change that we're looking at in the blue economy space and especially in the tech space. At the end of the day or the start of the morning, <laughs> like that. When, when you are a citizen of any country, any part of the world, whether you're, I mean, you're a global citizen too, but you're actually a national as well, what matters to you the most? What matters to you most are the services that touch you personally and your near and dear ones. What are those? It's the access to, to quality education, health, getting public services, doing your taxation, filing your birth and death certificates, getting your uh, your passports, the interaction that you have with the state, you want that to be as simple as possible and as bereft and as transparent as possible. So digitization does, you know, it, it's not a magic bullet, but it contributes to that kind of transparency and giving the same opportunity to to uh, uh, Susan who's making $1,000 a month versus uh, Sally who's making $100,000 a month. You know, I'm just giving extreme examples. So that the citizen should have the same sort of, you know, end-to-end -end opportunity to, uh, which is the right of a citizen, to have more efficient, 
effective and safe interaction with public services. That's one. The second part, what does what do you want as a citizen is, you know, uh, employment, income, so that you and your family and your family can even be in a better position in the coming years. So that's where uh, the opportunity of uh, of creation of jobs, because that's there are lots of limitations to that, especially in small states. So these opportunities of grabbing uh, global uh, initiatives, which digital technology promotes, is a huge opportunity for uh, uh, for the Caribbean, especially the young men and women. And the other thing that struck me about one of your articles as well is the emphasis you put on the proximity to the United States in terms of the uh, work around both the blue economy and tech vision. I happen to agree with you here as well that the U.S. has a unique role to play and a critical role to play in the transformation of the economies in our in, in the region because of proximity and a whole host of other reasons. But I'd like you to end our talk today kind of expounding on why you think uh, the U.S. is so important to this. Uh, U.S. is, uh, uh, from the point of view of uh, research and development, from the point of view of the, uh, the financing that goes into R&D, whether it's the private sector or whether it's the if the U.S. the public sector itself has been uh, quite a leader, you know, and the private sector has shown how they have moved uh, incrementally forward on areas, especially on the digital technology side. So uh, being close to uh, to a country, physically close, and having physical access, exchange of ideas, movement of people back and forth, the learning that it entails, plus very important export, um, moving back and forth, high value products. So the U.S. is an important market for the for the economic market as well. Not only ideas market, but economic market. And so many of the Caribbean nationals are making such huge contributions. In fact, not just on the U.S., also in Canada and in the U.K., as you all know. So uh, those are sort of, you know, it's 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 a it's a two way street. I wouldn't say that, you know, the benefit is uh, from the for the for the Caribbean of being close to the U.S. I think the U.S. is also hugely benefiting from it. So, you know, ensuring that the products that move uh, back and forth, they're the right investments and also uh, the right kind of uh, requirements that the that the uh, market needs, whether it's the U.S. market or, the, for their example, the EU market needs, that that technical support can come in and they can work together on these areas. But honestly, uh, speaking, uh, the uh, uh, it's a connected world, and uh, the more connected uh, one is to your neighbors, uh, it's always helpful. It's always helpful. And of course, this conversation is a big conversation, uh, bigger than we have time for today, uh, particularly when we think about the current geopolitical push-pull between the East and uh, the West right now. And it seems almost as if the Caribbean is somewhere caught up in the middle of that. Well, it has been a privilege, uh, Tashin, to have had you today on the program to share your insight and to learn about the amazing initiatives that the World Bank, quite frankly, uh, is spearheading uh, in the Caribbean. I hope you will come back again to join us. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to to talk to you and to discuss these issues uh, and uh, uh, wishing the very best to the Caribbean. And I hope that 
this uh, the next two months remain safe uh, on the COVID side as well as on uh, the uh, issues of uh, natural uh, any natural disaster issues because it is we are still in the hurricane season as you know. We're still yes. Thank you so much again. Walk good. Best wishes. Thank you for listening to Diplomatically Speaking, the Caribbean Foreign Affairs podcast that keeps you up to speed on the issues about the most pressing matters of our time concerning the region and how they connect to you. We hope you'll join us again for another exciting conversation. Please visit us online at www.diplomaticallyspeaking.com and share this podcast with others. Until next time, walk good.